We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% .9 of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finish 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. This don't have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man go dominate. Boys, offense, defense, special team. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Hey, welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is your host, Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partner in crime for the evening, Tommy Avance. We're here to break down the Los Angeles Rams linebackers. We're also going to talk about Steven Jackson, his career as a Ram, and his place in franchise history. And of course, at the end of the show, we are almost there, I promise, folks. We are almost there. The Toll Running League is almost finished. We have the Rock Power Reports, Drew Gear and Chris Kruger to preview the 2019 Buffalo Bills. Well, Tommy... How you doing, bud? I'm wonderful, man. Wonderful, wonderful. It's a beautiful Wednesday. Summer is in full effect, so it's disgustingly hot. I don't know how hot it is in Ohio, but it's about 
90 degrees in Los Angeles with about 60% humidity, so it's gross. It's really different. Even if it's 90 here with humidity, it feels different than out there, so it's kind of hard to judge. We get humidity, it was like 85, 86 today with about 90% humidity, I believe. I could be wrong on that. And yeah, you feel that's like terrible. You, yeah, you're just kind of rolling in sweat. Yeah. Kind of nasty. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, speaking I, I don't of, do well with humidity. But... This weekend, though, you had a little bit of a refresher try and avoid the heat. The pool party, how'd that roll? It went okay. Um, a lot of people that RSVP'd didn't show up, I would say around 10. But um, a lot of people did show up. We had a good time. The turnout wasn't what I expected, but it is what it is. We had fun, though. Whoever did show up, um, we had a great time, talked to football, listened to some good music, played some beer pong, had some great food. So it was fun. And camp this weekend? This upcoming weekend? Oh, this, this past weekend. How did that oh, go for you? Oh, the past weekend. Yeah, we had a good time. Mark um, from the Uncensored Show and his son and wife and mother all got to experience their first ever Rams training camp. Um, they came in from Arizona to come to the pool party and training camp on Sunday. So that was great. We had a blast. We got a Brittany from the team to help us get a autograph token, which are for children only. So Anthony was able to go in the tent and get autographs from 11 players, I believe, including wow. Todd Gurley and Jared Goff, and take wow. pictures. So that was fantastic. Uh, we all kind of did our part to use our connections with the team to help him out and get give him the best experience possible. I got a token for my nine-month-old son, but when I went to the gate, they wouldn't let me carry him in. They said, if he can't walk, he can't go in which really frustrated me. And then afterwards I talked to Kevin Demoff about it. And he said that the reason is because of all these fanboys yeah. want to go in there with their babies and get autographs for themselves and go sell them on eBay. And we want to kind of those types of people out. And you just got caught in the crossfire. I'm like, fair enough. I can accept that explanation. So what I did is I saw a little boy crying that was wearing a Jacksonville Jaguars, Blake Bortles Jersey. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was upset, so I went up to him and his family, and I said, what's wrong, young man? And he said, oh, I wanted to go in the tent and get autographs, but um, you have to have a token. And I was like, well, it's your lucky day, and I handed the gold token like it was Willy Wonka's Yeah, God, gosh, I what I was thinking, too. And it, his face lit up. It was the coolest thing, and his father gave me a big hug, and so, yeah, I didn't want to waste it. I wanted to make sure somebody got it, so it was pretty cool. You're a good man, Tommy. You're a good man. And I it's, try. It's really interesting. You, you saying that up concerning Kevin DeMoff and the tokens. And, you know, one of the things that we've been doing here as an independent site for the longest time is we've been working to try and continue to grow as a company, get credentialed and so on and so forth. And over the years, NFL policy has been very strict on that. And for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, because people would just start a blog or whatever, um, not take it seriously and try and get in with these teams to go be fanboys. And so it's a constant issue for these teams that have to figure out how they're going to handle fans, how they're going to f- handle new age media outlets and so on and so forth. I do not envy the Rams for having to do some of the things they do. No, and, and the good people, you know, end up getting caught in the crossfire, which is frustrating. But rules are rules and, and people have to follow them because... Not everyone, you know, wants to do the right thing. You know, there there was a lot of people at camp that were screaming at the players 
when they were being interviewed, right? Some of them were being interviewed live on CBS, right? And I, I lean over to them and I said, guys, there's no way they're going to come over here and sign your shirts or your whatever you want to get signed. And they're like, why? I'm all, because you're annoying. I'm like, I wouldn't sign your stuff. I'm all, I know these players enough to know which ones are going to come over here and which ones aren't because of your behavior. Trust me, the more obnoxious you are, the less leeway you're going to get. So calm down. And when they're done, we'll call them over here calmly with respect, you know, and we did that and they came over and I did the same thing with, with Jim Everett because he was being interviewed on CBS and these young kids are probably 10 years old. They were screaming at him and I told him, be quiet. And they're like, Oh, what's going on? I'm like, he's being interviewed on live TV and you're screaming oh, yeah. at the top of your lungs, 10 feet away. Do you think that that's okay? Be quiet, and when he's done, I'll call him over here. What, what makes you think you're going to get him over here? I'm like, he's my friend, and I play fantasy football with him, so <laughs> he will come over. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. As soon as he's done, I'm like, come here, Jim. Sign these knuckleheads stuff so they can get out of my hair. They're driving me to drink. And he's like, he's like come here, knuckleheads. Give me your stuff. <laughs> and their moms were <laughs> laughing. They thought it was so funny. They're like, Jim, ever call my sense knuckleheads. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I was just trying to teach the kids some etiquette, you know, and there there was another guy who, when we were having a conversation with Kevin Demoff, he was standing, you know, two people away from us and he was screaming at Steven Jackson at the top of his lungs, trying to get his attention. And Steven was just like rolling his eyes like, dude, go away. He was a grown man, you know, just being completely obnoxious. Kevin kept looking over at him, you know, like, dude, shut up. But he won't, you know, Kevin's not going to say anything. So I'm like, mm, I'm going to do it for him. I'm like, hey, bro, can you go away? Like, Steven's not coming. Nobody likes you. You're the most annoying person on this field right now. Go away. And he, like, looked at us. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. Go away, dude. And he walked away. And Kevin was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I mean, it's obnoxious. There's guys with backpacks with, like, 10 helmets. 40 balls running around with sharpies like and you could totally tell these guys are just slanging all this stuff on ebay and it's disgusting and i'm just yeah. like one of one of them tried to hand me his stuff over the rail and say hey can you go get this sign for me i'm like, dude i don't get autographs get out of here man i'm like i don't ask nobody for autographs it's, it's he's really, like really i'm like no i don't sorry yeah yeah it's really weird to me because if some people aren't so blessed like um, you know, I live because of my job, because of just how life worked. I live in Ohio. My daughters, I'm raising, of course, to be Rams fans. Everything I have, I share with them. And I would be thrilled to be able to take them to cover, you know, to, to, to be there, to go to see training camp and meet the players and, and bring home autographs and all that jazz. And it would never cross my mind to put them on eBay. I, and I'm not trying to be little people that do that. But I will be little people who make a living off it, by the way. It's kind of disgusting because you're taking a player's time who could be actually autographing this stuff for people who will value it more. Yeah, but, that, will, that will frame it and put it up on their wall or for the children. You know, yeah, isn't yeah, this yeah. all about the children at the end of the day? You know what I mean? Like I'm getting kids and the players are coming and adults are trampling children to get autographs. I had enough. And I started mm-hmm. pulling adults away from the fence. Move, move, move. And I put the kids up from. I'm like, you guys are a disgrace. Come on. Yeah, that's man. just that's just bananas to me. I, I, I guess I I guess I see it like if you 
have the an autograph where you're like, well, you know what? I got like a couple of these. Let me see if I can maybe make a couple bucks for this. Or maybe, hey, maybe you're going to use the to buy a ticket to a game or something. I can get that. But if that's all you ever do is trample kids or, you know, make a living off of just doing that, getting autographs and put them on eBay or whatever, it's just kind of gross. It just really is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I'm not. I'm not okay with it. And the players and famous people in general are not okay with it either. They don't like it. No, no. And I still have all kinds of memorabilia from the last years, especially. But even when I was much younger, old programs and so on and so forth. But the one thing that really hurts to this day, and I, I hope you don't mind me telling the story, but what I've told before, but there's a main reason why I'm kind of like a Jim Everett fanboy, and the reason why I grew up a Jim Everett fanboys because I was very poor growing up. I had um, I didn't have much at all for anything. And I one day sent a letter to the Rams, to Jim Everett, and I just asked him for my birthday if the team could win and maybe if he would be kind of to send a program. He didn't send a program. And the team didn't win. <laughs> he, instead, he sent me a, a, an autograph photo, an autograph photo of the, my favorite player. And that stuck with me my entire life. And, of course, years later, when I finally am now in a journalism outlet and I had the opportunity to interview him, of course, I stayed professional. But it meant the world to me that this person who was a major influence on my life at that age, just because he showed kindness, years later, it's still there, you know? Man, that's super cool. Yeah, I just it, it meant the world. So you know, these these kids—that's what these kids are there for, right? You, you know, these kids don't know much of what's going on at training camp, do they? No, they no. are not even paying attention to what's going on in the field until they get to be a certain age, you know, like a teenager. But the kids are running around having fun. Mommy, give me a funnel cake, and oh, that's Jared Goff, and just—they're having fun. As soon as camp started on Sunday, um, they're getting ready to roll out. Um, Bones was on the field. And for people who don't know the nickname Bones, he is our special teams coach. And he came to the sideline and to the rail and called as many children that would run up to the rail. And he started picking them up and bringing them over onto the field. And he was getting them to run routes. And Jared Goff was throwing the ball to the kids. So it was really awesome. And Anthony, Mark's son, was a little shy. And we were like, go, go, go. And by the time he got up there, he had already grabbed like 12 kids. And, and Anthony didn't get to go over because he was too shy. I was like, see, there's your lesson right there, young man. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Next time, go faster. And he's like, yeah. I know. I should have went when you told me. <laughs> yeah. But it was really cool. So I guess that means you're going to be back out there again this week, right? Maybe. I will definitely be there Sunday as of about a couple hours ago. Mark informed me that he is driving back out from Arizona again to come to training camp one more time. And and Sunday's the last day um, open to the public. This year, there was only seven practices open to the public. Normally, there's like at least 14. I know the first year, I was there almost every day, and but they changed it this year. There's only seven. That's why it's so crowded Mm-hmm. At the at camp because there's only seven dates where where fans can come, but still I will definitely be there now. on Sunday. So yeah, still a great experience. We'll be out there. At least Johnny will be this weekend. Um, see if you can find him. It's like where's Waldo? In the meantime, 
We do let you know that this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. We also remind you that we are available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Apple Music. We're pretty much everywhere. But with all that in mind, we need a little bit of help. We have a contest going. We're trying to get 200 five-star reviews. It's been a little bit slow going. So we have a little bit of a carrot there. One lucky winner will get a $75 gift certificate to NFLshop.com. By entering the contest, where all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, send us an email at ramstop1945 at gmail.com with a screenshot so we know who to enter in the contest. And the reason why we do that is because sometimes your screen name on Apple is different than what your actual email address is. And then we'll also read your feedback on the air. It's something that we really enjoy doing, by the way. And and if you think we haven't quite earned it and you'd like us to earn it, send us some feedback. Right back to the email. Send some feedback so we have the chance to address your concern and hopefully produce a better show. Don't forget Rams Uncensored this week with... Tommy and the crew also butting heads with Steve and Johnny. That's coming up as well. All right. We have actually a ton of things to talk about. And I cannot forget, though, that you're still selling that shirt, correct? I am. So reach out to Tommy on Twitter, Ram Tommy in LA. He'll show you how to get it done. We're also going to get Google Forms set up free so you can order it online. We'll make that happen. And Dom Samara's. Uh, Dom Samara's GoFundMe is still going. We would really like to try and get that finished up here quickly before the season starts because he has an appointment now at uh, University of Washington, so it's set. We just want to do the best we can to help him. All right, here we go. First things first in the news, Steven Jackson signed with the Rams a one-day contract so he can retire as a Ram. Tommy, what are your best memories of SJ39? Well, I watched... Every game he played, um, I got to see him uh, on, what was it? What day was I there? On Monday during Legends Day. And they brought him up on stage, put his jersey on, made it official. Um, So it was cool to be a part of that and uh, to say hello to him. He is my favorite Rams all-time running back. He played during my era. I know I was there for Eric Dickerson and Marshall Falk, but... Steven did the most with the least, in my opinion. He played on the Rams in one of the worst stretches in NFL history for any franchise, and every defense knew who the best player was on that side of the ball, and they keyed in on him, and it didn't matter. He's the Rams' all-time leading rusher, and he's one of my favorite, if not my favorite Ram of of all time. And obviously, at the end of the day, when he retires, Aaron Donald will be my favorite player of all time. But Steven is is way up there for me. He's underrated, in my view. And actually, years ago, I think maybe six, six, seven years ago, I wrote an article for Yahoo Sports. And I basically stated that that Eric Dickerson was not the, the best in Rams history. Okay. And, man, oh, my gosh, the L.A. fans went crazy. I think I said Marshall Falk. I think I made the case for Marshall Falk, and I had Steven Jackson a second. And the reason why I'd say Marshall Falk was just because he was so multidimensional. But it's also easier to make the claim for Marshall because Marshall actually had an offensive line and an offense to rely on. If I'm looking at, at pure running, though, I'm going to make the case as a pure runner. 
Yeah, for the Rams, it comes down to Eric Dickerson and Steven Jackson. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. Okay. So, Steven Jackson, he... How do I say this? He was pretty screwed, man. <laughs> for much of his career, he had nobody on that offense with him. You mentioned that, right? I'm, that's skill players. What about offensive line? What do you remember about that offensive line? Garbage. Well, tell us how you really feel. I mean, I can, <laughs> there's so many players that you can go back and not remember their names because they made zero impact. I mean, if you go back and look at the rosters from 2007 to 2010, right? Yeah. Those years, it was there was a lot. I mean, we make jokes about it on Twitter all the time. We'll joke around about jerseys. Um, when we were messing around a while back with Throwback Joe's before Cal took over and giving Joe a hard time, um, we used to joke around and say we were going to call and order like Ty Hill jerseys and, <laughs> you know, really obscure players that were bust just to mess with them. But, I mean, it's the running joke. You know, we had a big old thread a couple weeks ago about uh, players. You know, everyone was just replying with some Laurent Robinson or some, you know, just some player that we got that in free agency that stunk it up or draft pick that stunk it up. It's, it's it was bad. I agree completely. It was it was awful, awful thing to do. And I look at the Rams offensive line in the 1980s, and it's like a who's who of, of offensive linemen, like. They were built to run, and these were high-quality offensive linemen. And the argument's going to be, well, everybody knew the Rams were going to run. Well, everybody knew the Rams were going to run behind the 2007, 2008, 2009 Rams offensive line. What's the difference? There is no difference, and that's a terrible argument. And anybody that would bring that up, I would never finish that conversation with them because I'm out of their league. It's ter- that's a terrible thing to say. You knew they were going to run, and he still did it, mm-hmm. dummy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So what kind of argument is that? Give me a break. I just want to clarify because we're going to, some Eric Dickerson defense are going to pop in here and and be upset. This is not about Eric Dickerson. He was an amazing running back who carried the load of the 1980s. He did have the blessing of a great offensive line, but he was still great. He was still great. I'm just saying, given what Steven Jackson had and what he had to go through, He's the leading rusher in franchise history. He was the leading rusher by a lot by the time he retired. And quite frankly, had he not been beaten up so much, he probably had a couple more years left in him. The guy was an animal. He was a physical animal, a genetic freak. Yeah, like you can, you know, hypotheticals. Take Barry Sanders and put him in Emmett Smith's position that he had all those years on that team. And nobody would, and then put Emmett Smith on Detroit. Right? How do you think that would have worked out? You think Emmett Smith would have been as good as Barry Sanders on the Lions all those years? No, no, no. exactly. Because he's not as good, dude. He's just not. Barry Sanders is one of the best, if not the best, running back ever. Right? He is the ultimate. Did all that with nothing, you know? He is. And you could say the same thing with the Rams. Take Stephen Jackson, put him on the Rams in the era that and the guys that Eric played with and vice versa do you, and see how they play. Now I know these are hypotheticals, but it's a conversation you can have, right? Do you think Eric would have been as good behind um, the offensive line that Steven ran under his whole career and vice versa? Who would be the better guy? How would they finish? How would they do? Right. 
I look at it, and again, this is not meant to in any way be offensive towards Eric, but I look at it and think, I, I go with Steven. I, I really do. And I go with Steven because he, well, twofold, twofold. Let me, let me frame this right. He was also better out of the outfield. Better out of the outfield. <laughs> he was better out of the backfield. Okay, he did a better job out of the backfield. And, you know, one more thing that Steven doesn't get a lot of credit for is Steven didn't fumble a whole lot. Eric Dickerson fumbled 51 times in his career and 23 times for Steven Jackson. So not only is he the Rams' leading rusher all time, he is better out of the backfield statistics-wise, and he fumbled much less. Again, none of this is meant to demean Eric Dickerson. I know somebody's going to come at me. Eric Dickerson is an amazing player. I'm just saying by the numbers, there is a strong case for Steven Jackson. Yeah, I mean, he's... I love Eric, man. He's not just as a player, but he's one of the most friendly people on the Legends community. He comes around to the tailgates and says hello to everybody, takes pictures, sign autographs on his own, all by himself, just because he's that kind of guy. He's a fantastic human being, and he was an amazing player. Mm-hmm. But if I had to pick out of the top three running backs, out of you know Stephen Marshall, and I'm taking Stephen, and that's my opinion, and and I'll respect somebody else's opinion who disagrees. That's fine. There's no right or wrong here, right? There really isn't. But statistically, if we want to play that game, we can win that argument any day of the week. I mean, overall, he fumbled 78 times his career, fumbled 51 times in five years with the Rams. Granted. And also want to add an asterisk there. He led the league in carry three time, carries three times. Each time he led the league in carries, he carried the ball over 380 times that season. So just to add some context to the fumble numbers for Eric Dickerson, uh, for Steven Jackson, the most carries he had in his season was 346 in 2006. He's still, for a career, 23 fumbles. So 23 uh, total in his career. That's his unreal. Career. 23. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Overall carries 2,764 for Eric Dickerson, 2,996. So for two, uh, roughly 230-ish more carries, you had 55 more fumbles. Not good. I mean, a couple of things also, it was a different game back then. Uh, players got away with a lot more physically. Yep. But mm-hmm. I just, you know, he, Steven Jackson definitely has a great case and um i don't know if he'll make the hall of fame i think he probably retired a little too early at thirteen thousand two hundred fifty nine yards i would think he would have a sorry that was a that's eric not steven reading the wrong one steven's numbers were eleven thousand four hundred thirty eight yards you would think that's those are pretty good numbers but overall all time believe it or not that doesn't put him even in the top 10 that puts him at number 18 yeah, but look at that. We were talking about this the other day on Uncensored with Jim Everett. So Jim Everett finished with 34K, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And there's 19 quarterbacks behind him that are in the Hall of Fame. Some of them have 6,000 passing yards, by the way. Um, I think the Hall of Fame is a joke, in my opinion, overall. If you are the leading franchise rusher for any of these 32 teams, you should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. Marshall Fox in the Hall of Fame, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Eric Dickerson's in the Hall of Fame, right? Yep. 
are they the leading franchise for the Rams? No, they're not. That's my argument. Steven should be in because he's in first place. He is the all-time leading rusher for one of 32 franchises. If he doesn't get in the Hall of Fame, I have no faith in their voting or their criteria. It's a joke. And it has nothing to do with me being a Ram fan. I don't even know if that's really... I mean, you're making a good case. I'm not sure it's the case I would make. I would say, A, look at the numbers. Okay? B, look at the team. Look at that roster that he had to deal with. And go back and watch the film yourself. And watch what he he did. Watch how he played the game. And to me, you wrap that all together, and that makes a Hall of Fame candidacy. And I, I have serious issues with the Hall of Fame, by the way. I've talked about this numerous times on the show. I think there are several Rams who have not been considered basically because the Rams have had their ups and downs in franchise history. I'm a strong proponent, for example, of Eddie Metter being in the Hall of Fame. Strong proponent. Yeah, he you know, changed the game it. in the 60s at his yeah, position. People don't realize it. You know, when people talk about the Hall of Fame and I listen, and it's that time of year where people are talking about it and blah, blah, blah. I get so frustrated because it's an individual award. So, like, when people are like, oh, but that quarterback never won a Super Bowl. Who cares? That's a team award. That has nothing to do with the individual we are talking about. That's a stupid argument. Stop. You're not inducting the Rams into the Hall of Fame, dude. You're inducting one player from any given team, from any given era, that did special things. He did those things. He may have had a team around him to help him or not help him, but like I said, it's an individual award, so stop talking about stupid things like Super Bowl trophies. It's absurd. It, well, it is absurd. I mean, Dan Marino. Yeah, ahead, one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. He's, in the, he's in the Hall of Fame, right? Never won a Super Bowl. Fair enough. Didn't need to. Still one of the best ever. I don't care. Right? Don't care. Doesn't matter. Jim Kelly lost four Super Bowls in a row. He's in the Hall of Fame. He earned it. He earned it. You agree? Absolutely did. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So there's our Steven Jackson thing. Our Steven Jackson spiel. The, 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 the man is worthy of many honors. He is one of the greatest Rams to ever play the game. Hopefully, we can get Steven to visit one of our shows. Um, I'm one of, eventually, I'm sure he will because um, he's listening to the show right now, right? I mean, yeah. maybe. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> As we're talking, all kinds of wonderful we, we never, who know who's listening, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, there are, there are several dream interviews that we continue to hope for one day to have on here. Jackie Slater's one of mine. Uh, Steven Jackson, of course, would be a person you'd want to talk to. Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk. It's, these guys live lives are hard to get, and you know time is valuable. Hopefully, you can talk to Steven one day, if not on Rams Talk Radio, but on Rams from Sensor or Budding Hands, just somewhere, and get their words on record because their careers are history. And if we don't get them sooner or later, people will forget. Okay, so moving on. Moving on. We have the linebacker preview. And for me, for this one, I have to be honest, guys, our previews ran a little long this week, so we want to shorten it down a little bit and just kind of get into the folks we really think are going to make the team and, and their impact this year. Here we go. 
I'm gonna back up and go with here's your draft picks, your young, your undrafted rookies for this year. You're talking about Dakota Allen, Kentner Cup, Natrez Patrick, Troy Reader, Landis Durham. Any of those guys interest you that you've been able to see? I mean, to be honest with you, when I was at camp the other day, I wasn't watching too much of what was going on the field. I peeped a little bit of this and that. I was talking to people left and right. That's I'm just a social butterfly. I can't sit still. But I did see Dakota Allen get smoked by uh, Malcolm Brown on a wheel route, and he caught the ball with one hand. It was pretty cool. But Well, that's the knock on Allen, though, playing the position where he is, that there isn't going to be enough speed for him. That's the knock he, on I him. Mean, he, he, he was close, but it's not because he wasn't fast enough. It's because he didn't react fast enough. So and That's I, fair, I, but I that gave is him the, a knock I gave on him it. the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, Kentner Cup, there's concerns about size, but, of course, he's a certain person's brother, and we also have lots of Eastern Washington links to this team. I think he has a chance to at least make the practice squad. I think there's a chance. It might be like a the chance from what's that movie Dumb and Dumber? So you saying there's a chance? So you saying there's a chance? <laughs> Maybe that buddy. one? Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, Natre- Natrez Patrick. There's a lot of red flags with him character-wise. Has some physical tools, but did again raise some red flags. I'm interested in seeing Troy Reader though. Lots of good buzz on him and some buzz on Landis Durham as well. Just some some guys to keep an eye on. But there are some returnees as well. One of the big ones is Corey Littleton. Had a lot of highlights last year and also some question marks. What are you looking for for Corey Littleton this year? I think Corey played great overall last year. I mean, listen, you're not going to play perfect on every play. and I'll give you the NFC championship game against the Saints. And the third, because they couldn't do anything in the third quarter, all they did when the Saints got the ball, they drove all the way down the field on every single play by throwing screens and little dump-offs to uh, Kamara, and Corey was stuck covering him one-on-one on all those plays. And so, and they and they were running no huddle, which was even worse. And I'm just watching the TV, like, shaking my head, like, poor Corey. That's just mean, you know? Because nobody would have did a good job in that position. I'm sorry, dude. You know, chasing Kamara all the way down the field on the same drive every single play in a row almost that was ridiculous so lazy but it was effective right like okay we can't do anything overall let's just pick on one person and that's what they did but overall all season long i mean come on dude the guy came from nowhere and was a great special teams player got an opportunity made the best of it i think he's only going to get better I do too. I think that over the course of time, you grow into a position, and he's the position he's at right now is newer compared to where he's been in the last couple of years, especially when you're under Wade Phillips. Who was he with before Wade Phillips? Well, Greg Williams. Greg Williams ran things differently. So I'm not really worried about him as long as he continues to mature in the position. Other guys too, Bryce Hager. We pretty much know what we're getting from him. Solid backup will never really be a starter. We'll provide some snaps for you. Travin Howard, come back this year. TCU guy, has some hits and misses. Probably will make the team. Micah Kaiser. He's starting. I know you saw him out there this weekend. And there was some good buzz around him. Dude, he's jacked up, bro. He's starting this year next to Corey. I'm just telling you right now. It's a done deal. 
I've been thinking that since last year. If anybody, I mean, and not to pat myself on the back, I, that's, I've always believed that was a plan for him. I've, I, I, look, I likened it to Nolan Cromwell getting drafted in the 70s, and the back then that was a big part of the Rams program was you draft somebody, they sit and do special teams the year before, and then they go out and they, and they start. And that's kind of how I felt they were, what they were doing with Kaiser. And I've long felt that he's a big solution in the middle for them if he's ready. Run-stopping is the big key for them. That's what they need. All eyes, to me, point towards Mecca Kaiser if he's ready starting, and I've, I've felt that way now for a while. He'll be ready. Wade Phillips, the kind of coach that he is when they bring in uh, draft picks, he the, this is how he kind of looks at things. If you're not better right away than the guy that's in front of you on the depth chart that was on the team last year, you are not going to start. You're going to play special teams because especially if you're at a position – that has a lot of demand and control over the defense and is a big part of, you know, understanding the play calls like linebackers, right? So he kept Mark out there for one year to to get Micah comfortable because he, he sees a lot of potential in him. That's why they drafted him. And when they drafted him, I was very excited because he's a traditional inside linebacker, and that's what we were lacking. We've been playing with safeties for years. It's getting old. We need at least one guy in there on rundowns to just shut that down, and this is the type of guy to do it. Um, And that's the bottom line. You know, when John Johnson got the opportunity to start as a rookie, it's just because he was better than Mm -hmm. Alexander, and that's why we got rid of Alexander, because he was better. And it's like, you know what? If he's better, we drafted him. I already wanted him to be a starter at some point anyway. We might as well just give him the job. And the the position at safety that he was playing, not as mentally demanding as middle linebacker. So you could see why he does the way, you know, things the way he does. What do you say about Obo, Okoronkwo? I'm looking for him to just get his feet wet, get out there on special teams, do put in some work, and get out there rotationally on defensive end and just wreak havoc and give the guys a break. You know, I think we have a good rotation as far as having Matthews, Fowler, um, Ibukam, and him out there rotating on defensive end. I'm a big fan of this rotation, and I think it's going to be nasty. Here's the, the reality to me. If these linebackers were developed well over the course of the last year, these 2018 draft picks, Micah Kaiser, Okoronkwo, even to a degree Trayvon Young, and guys who kind of brought over Justin Lawler. I think that this defense could actually be better. And I, I read a re, um, I shared it with Steve, and Steve, I think, talked about it on his show last night. There was a preview in Yahoo Sports, talking about the Rams offseason being a C-, and I just don't see that. And the reason why I don't see that is because people don't really understand how the Rams draft. The Rams draft for their system, they draft precisely for what they need, and they develop guys over the course of a, of a longer period. So I look at what they're doing and who came in, who left. Yes, LaMarcus Joyner left. They bring in Eric Weddle, who's a bit later in his career, but who's behind him? Taylor Rapp. And then you look at the linebackers who are stepping up this year, I don't see this offseason as being the C minus. I see this team just reloading and bringing the core of guys they want for this defense and want it all along. Yeah, they're they're doing it right. They're bringing veteran guys that have high character and high IQ, and that are willing to share their knowledge for the future generation to preserve the quality of play in the NFL. Those are the kind of guys you want on your team. You don't want some insecure vet 
who thinks the young kid is going to take his job and doesn't want to share. You don't want those guys. Those guys are selfish. And guys like Clay Matthews and Eric Weddle fit perfectly into our philosophy and what we want to do moving forward, which is bring in some vets, let them enjoy the sun on their way out, teach a bunch of younger guys like Taylor Rapp how to play the game and how to carry themselves on and off the field. I love what we do. C plus lazy. I think it was actually a C minus. I was like, it was lazy. I C minus. I do want to ask. I don't care. They're, it's not average. That's well. For sure. And how do you take? I mean, what do you do with a Super Bowl team? Uh, break it down and get a bunch of new players? No, you don't need them. That's why you went to the Super Bowl. You grab a few here and there. You draft a few here and there, and you move forward. I think it was naive, honestly. I think it's naive to say a Rams offseason being a C minus, and the reason why you're saying it's a C minus is because look at who you lost. Well, you lost Lamarcus Joyner, who clearly had some issues back there last year, did not live up to the contract he had, and you lost to Namakon Sue, who didn't even get hot until the end of the year. Yeah, so, but he did that on purpose, let's be honest. I mean, yeah, okay, but doesn't the overall impact throughout the year was eh. He didn't play awful or anything. This is not meant to badmouth the guy. I'm no, just saying. He, no, he lived to fight another day. He's a smart man. The dude yes. is a really well, smart man. And there's one a reason the why he doesn't out there. get hurt. There, he's one okay. of the smartest out there. I'm, and I'm, Yeah, so I'm, I don't want to come across him coming down on him. I'm just saying no, you're not. That, that he is, if you're talking about day in and day out effort, he wasn't going to be the guy for this team. No, he was okay. you know, he was brought in to help win a Super Bowl and he flipped the switch like Sean Merriman style when the playoffs hit and we all and, saw it because he was running circles around everybody. And they very really won it. I'm just looking at like the overall picture for the offseason, what they brought in pieces wise. I think also when you see people talking about the you know, offseason the C minus to the Rams, like the talent going out is higher than the talent coming in. But the Rams can't afford to pay these guys. You have to do this wisely. Your core is getting paid. They're getting paid. Hey, didn't did Lamarcus Joyner make the top one hundred? I don't think he did. No, he did not. Did Eric? Sure did. At a hundred. Okay, he made it. This is insane to say. I mean, let's be honest. If it if it wasn't for the refs, Lamarcus Joyner would have been the reason why we lost the NFC Championship. Bottom line, he blew it. He played terrible, and it wasn't the first time. He had to go. You know why? Because he doesn't want to get in the film room. He's lazy. There's a lot of players out there that rest on their God-given natural physical ability, but remember, it'll only get you so far. Well, I mean, I don't know. It happens to these guys all the time. I I can't speak to that. I I never saw any reports about film i just know that he didn't perform the way they needed him to perform last year listen it's obvious he's not in the film room if you go back and watch film yourself and watch him play he's always out of position because he's just not paying attention or he doesn't know where he's supposed to be what i saw with that secondary last year was a secondary that really struggled with communication overall and i did see him out position a lot i saw marcus peters out position a lot but here's the thing with peters was he spoke? Was he really out of position, or were there was just something else going on? We don't know because the coaches didn't answer that question. And film will only take you so far. Yeah, and people, when it comes to guys like Marcus Peters, who are more of a freelance player, he's always out there. You see him talking a lot in between plays to his players. Mm-hmm. He's yelling and pointing. It's because he's telling guys, "Look, this is what I see. I'm going to jump this, so you better have my back. You better be ready." 
because I'm going to try to pick six this. That's what he does. So there always needs to be a guy that knows he's going to jump a route if this play comes out or they come out in this formation. Eric will make that mistake. You know what I mean? Because they'll make sure, Eric will make sure that they're on the same page and they're talking to each other. Maybe LaMarcus just wasn't listening, right? And But the bottom line is somebody's out there, John. Usually it's Marcus. Now I'm telling you right now, Eric Weddle is going to take complete control of the secondary. You watch. Yep. And that's it. We'll save that. We're going to save that for Sunday when uh, Michael's on the show, our uh, resident secondary guy. We'll talk more about that. Real quick, last two guys, Samson Ebicom and Clay Matthews Jr. You've already talked a little bit about Matthews Jr. We're expecting to see him both on the edge and inside. Samson up and down last year. I like Samson personally. Interviewed him at Ransfest last year. Had a great time just getting into football. What are your thoughts on where these two fit in overall and their projected success this season? I think Clay is going to have a good season if he stays healthy because he's not like when he was in Green Bay, a lot of times it was just him and a bunch of guys, you know, above average to average guys. Some of them were pretty good, but nothing like he has now with guys like Aaron Donald and Brockers and and whatnot. Right. So what's going to happen is for once in his career, He's not going to be double teamed. They're just they're not going to be able to do it. They're going to be triple teaming Aaron Donald a lot of times, which leaves guys like Clay Matthews with maybe no blockers or maybe a running back trying to chip. He's going to have a good season, I think. And Ibukam, let's be honest, when he came out of the draft, he a lot of what was he a seventh or sixth round pick? Sixth. Either way, it was way down there. My point is is that if you go back and look at the stats and pro football focus, the number one pick that year was Miles Garrett, okay? Number one overall pick defensive lineman. You know who was the number two player ranked at defensive line that year in the whole country? Samson Ibukam. And he fell all the way to the sixth round because he played for a small school. So we're getting a talent that on paper cap up with Guys like Miles Garrett, it was the number one overall pick, and we're paying him pennies. So why does everyone have a problem with this? Is my question. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are frustrated with him, but I'm like, dude, why are you frustrated? He's not making ten million dollars a year. Who cares? Yeah, he's not that great. Well, we're not paying him that much money anyway, so it's a wash. Relax. Let him go out there and continue to grow, and we'll see how he does. And if he is not good enough to earn a starter second contract, then he'll be on. It is yeah. what it is. But give him a shot. I mean, he showed various times throughout the season last year that he could be productive, could be a, even a star. You know, he Kansas killed City, it in example. the Kansas City game. Yeah. I was there, man. He the, had two defensive yeah. touchdowns. The only question really becomes is can he become consistent? And that's the big question overall. Clay Matthews, we talked about him. He'll be all over the place, leadership. There's one guy, though, that I, I very nearly forgot, and he's the biggest one of all right now, Dante Fowler Jr. Yeah, well, one-year deal. When I see one-year deals, I see the ability to take advantage of somebody who wants to make a lot more money. So he better play good like LaMarcus Joyner, right? He had that opportunity. He was on the franchise tag. What did he do with it? Played like crap. So we weren't going to re-sign him. Raiders gave him money. Good for you. I'm not interested in paying him that deal. So Dante better get it together. I mean, he's injury prone. Um, He's mouthy, but he's turned that around a little bit. 
Uh, we'll see, but what we're paying him uh, for one year is fine. I mean, we were trying to win a Super Bowl. We need as much talent as possible, and one-year deal, no biggie. Reports out camp for him is that he's been looking pretty stout. So here's hoping, fingers crossed for him. I got to think that he'll lay it out this year. Having been now in the system for a whole offseason, I have to like his chances of being successful, especially with Wade Phillips as his coach. Okay, folks, we got to move on. It is time for us to go out to the Rock Power Report and get our tour on the week preview of the Buffalo Bills with some added bonus conversation with the Rams about that in there as well. Before we do, we do want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Jim Hawk, and his book, Hollywood Scene, Great Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams, who so Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out the story of his father and team he played for an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Chrysler, Hurst, Tom Fierce, and Les Richter in this story spent the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. Also, it will be available on paperback. This September 6th, paperback. So if you happen to be the old school reader, love paperback, September 6th, you can find it in hardback, on the trial form at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through various other booksellers on the internet. Folks, I've read it cover to cover. I've said this so many times over the last year and a half now. It is an excellent book if you like Rams history. The cause is amazing. It's going out to Homeboy Industries, which is an organization out in the SoCal area that helps pull people out of the gang life and making them productive members of society. It's worth the time if you're a Rams fan, you like good reading, good history, and you want to help people out. Check it out. It's Halloween Grit Glamour and the 19th is Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. All right, folks. Here we go. Here is our look at the 2019 Buffalo Bills with the Rock Power Report, Drew Gere and Chris Krueger. All right, folks, it is time for our tour around the league with the Rock Pile Report. The Buffalo Bills with Drew Geyer and Chris Krueger here. They are on the show once again. What are you drinking this time, bud? What you got this time? <laughs> I'm drinking what is essentially a mishmash of uh, 91% black rum with some uh, little lime juice, a little water, a little hot sauce. You know, it's a Buffalo specialty. Yeah, Pepsi, whiskey, and with a little bit of bitters. <laughs> uh, well, it's our tradition when we ever we get the Buffalo Bills guys, we do find what they're drinking because they're always drinking something. But the question really, Drew, is are you sober for this one? Uh, you know what? I'm far more sober than the last time. Last time was rough. Was married life got you more sober? You know what it is? Being married, uh, I, I think being married for going on almost a year now, it, it really does calm you down, or maybe not even calm you down more than it takes the wind out of your sails a little bit. <laughs> you come home and there's just this person, that you figure things out, and you realize, like, hey, do I want to come home and just be this raging lunatic, or do I want to come home and be the guy who's able to acclimate back into the family life again? And you do sort of, sort of fill out that role. So you know what, what I mean? you're I saying, what you're saying, Drew, is she's basically made you into a better man. She's trying. I'll say that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as she's made me. She's trying. <laughs> she's trying. All right, well, how about this one? Can you evaluate the 2018 Buffalo Bills for me? What were the positives and negatives that you had for the season? Oh, oh, oh. all right. So the positives and negatives. The negatives were, I think the biggest negative you could look at were 
Let's start, let's start with the $50 million in dead money that the Buffalo Bills decided we're going to eat this season. And like any good GM, Brandon Bean got out there and told all of us as Bills fans, listen, there's no reason that while we're rebuilding, we can't be competitive. Which is GM speak for, I'm going to need some patience from you people because this is going to be bad. And it was. I mean, we spent $12 million on our entire offensive line. There are left tackles in the NFL making more money than that. One one player on their own who make more than we paid for our whole offensive line, which is why you saw a giant regression in LaShawn McCoy's you know, his production. None of our running backs really performed at all. Our leading rusher was our quarterback <laughs> because he's a moose. You also look at, if you're talking about negatives, I think the 6-10 and 10 record. The 6-10 and 10 record can be a negative because you look at it and you say, well, you guys have this dominant defense, and you wasted a season of what is a very underpaid defense. They're playing well beyond their paychecks, most of them. On the positive side of the coin, you do have that defense. You know, you know that what you're coming back into 2019 with, and as you watch that defense perform from week one to week 17, you watch them week in and week out. Against the pass, they were phenomenal. On the ground, hey, that's where you could make hay. And that's where they lost a lot of their football games. I mean, it's it's <laughs> you don't make it to 6-10 and 10 by being great. But the defense was very good. Their offense was just so bad, they couldn't buoy everything. And then, if there's any positive thing to take away from this, it is Josh Allen. Because when you saw Josh Allen come into week one as the starter, he was not supposed to be. And you saw what is a wide-eyed, underprepared quarterback. And then he kind of went, you know, he found his way over the first couple weeks, then got injured and got to sit and ride pine. But according to him, it's one of the best things that happened to him because he get to watch and acclimate to not only NFL speed, but watch how actual professionals who have played in the NFL previously as starters. Because by that time we signed Derek Anderson. Yes. So that's a great... Derek That's Anderson, Matt Barkley, teacher. he got to watch these guys come in and take their reps and how they played in the games. And even though they didn't do well, you know, he learned from the fact that, hey, not only is the game starting to slow down for me, but I'm watching how these professionals approach things. And when he came back, he was a different quarterback. He was a different quarterback who kept us in most games. And even if we didn't win them, we were still in them rather than getting blown out like we had been previously. So... I mean, there was a lot of ups and downs for Bills fans last year in 2018, but we ended the season on, I think, what is a high note when you look at the prospects going forward. So did he progress enough to build some optimism for the future? Oh, my God. Listen, I was one of the – when he was drafted, the night he was drafted, I was in an all-inclusive resort in Jamaica, naked, on the balcony, with a beer in each hand, oh, dear screaming, God. To my now, screaming to my now wife, that pants didn't matter. Pants were irrelevant because Josh Allen's our quarterback and life is as we know it is over. Fast forward a year. Fast forward a year and a couple weeks. I'm in a very different place. I've watched this kid gain a sense of composure. I've watched him make throws that there are very few NFL quarterbacks that can make. Now, his consistency has to improve. But he, what you saw from him during that time off and when he took the field again as a starter, you know, we win the Jets game, and then he comes back in that Jacksonville Jaguars game. 
and you know that they're just licking their chops because they're like, okay, here's a terrible offensive line. We're going to maul this young quarterback. Not only does he run the ball all over them, just himself. It's like, oh, you're going to flush me out of the pocket? Okay, I'm big enough. I can just dominate your linebackers, and I'm going to run past you. But also, the touchdown pass to Robert Foster that he threw was a gem because he stands in the pocket in the face of pressure and delivers the most accurate deep ball I've thrown. I've seen a Bills quarterback throw in probably five, six, seven years. It was a thing of beauty. And I was, I was there at that game, and I was in the bathroom. I missed it. I missed it. I had the opportunity to see it because I'm, I'm a season ticket holder. The reality was that he was a different quarterback down the stretch for us. He led us to what was just a complete domination of the Dolphins in the final game of the season. It was all Josh Allen just keying the offense. I think our, our fan base is itching for August and September because with Josh Allen's progress towards the end of the year, and now we've got a, like, we literally have like a whole new offensive line. We're just salvating at that opportunity. Now he's going to have time to throw the, throw the ball. So let's go there. You have a new offensive line. How do you feel about the Bills' offseason moves overall? What were their best signings? And which, do you, which players do you wish were still around? Okay. Well, first and foremost, if you're talking about best signings, I would almost underscore just all of the offensive line. Like I just got done telling you, we spent $12 million on an entire NFL offensive line. You can't run the ball behind that. I mean, just just so people, your listeners understand at home, the Arizona Cardinals, everyone wants to know what happened to David Johnson. Oh, why did David Johnson all of a sudden stop producing? Why didn't he, you know, he went from hero to zero. Their starters on an average annual value made two a total of $2 million last year. That's terrible. Their offensive line was cobbled together with guys off the street. We were just a small step above that in terms of offensive line spending. So the fact that that they wasted no time as a franchise here in Buffalo investing heavily on the offensive line, not just Guys that they thought that could be starters, they said, "Listen, we're not just going to get done. We're not just going to get this done by signing Mitch Morse as your start. You know, the highest paid NFL center right now. We're not just stopping there. We're going to sign a Tyan Seki, who we think can be a starting right tackle in the league. But we're not done. We're going to sign five more backups, and now we have competition across the line with NFL caliber starters." So we know, bar none, no matter who wins what competition battle, we have a real offensive line in front of our rookie quarterback. Hopefully this is what helps get him and our running game going. It really gets him up off the ground. I think love the, it. I think the negative aspect, whether it's free agency or the draft, because the day two of the draft, we were filming a uh, local television show for uh, in Rochester, New York, and... They changed the TVs to the NBA playoff games, so we lose uh-huh. we lose the draft on the TVs, and then I see, I'm I'm just all we can do is Twitter, and I watching Drew live on in front of a camera flip his his tablet and faceplant into the table like Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, when he's at the psych ward because we drafted. <laughs> Devin Singletary, a running back. We had a whole stable of running backs. If, I, if I'd say there's any negative moves, it's that we signed a bunch of running backs. Frank Gore. First of all, the, the, the running joke here in Buffalo early on in free agency was that 
you're, that heist movie with Morgan Freeman and uh, Michael Caine, <laughs> where the, the old was. guys are, are, pl- are planning their last big bank robbery with cr- uh, Chris Ivory, LaShawn McCoy, and then Frank Gore. We were like, Jesus, what are they doing here? They're getting the oldest collection of running backs the NFL has ever seen for one last ride. This might make for a good movie. It's not going to make for a good NFL season. And then they went and they signed TJ Yeldon, which again, now if you want to talk about good signings, they did things well to flush out the skill positions without overpaying. They got TJ Yeldon, who's a great third down back on a solid team-friendly contract. They got John Brown, and they got Cole Beasley at wide receiver, whereas last year our wide receivers were some of the worst in the NFL because we couldn't pay anybody. I think what they've done, if I can just take a broad spectrum view of this, worst decisions, best decisions. Best decisions, they fleshed out the offensive line and the skill positions around Josh Allen. Now that they know he sees the game at NFL speed, they've put playmakers around him to try to make the situation better. They've rebuilt the offensive line in front of him so that he's not the second most pressured quarterback in the NFL. Because that's a thing that happened. They're hoping that the addition of playmakers plus the extra protection helps him become a better pocket passer and not just a guy who's making plays every single game with his legs. On the negative side, I think they let some guys go, but I don't think anybody is really missed. I mean, sure as hell, not uh, our tight end. What? uh, Charles Clay? We paid that guy $9 million. He had 186 yards. He was the ninth highest paid tight end in football. In fact, if you want to look at a negative, guys, we let go. I don't think we lost anybody that really mattered, Chris, did we? No, Charles Clay leaving, and then for you, Devin Singletary coming in. <laughs> yeah, it, it was subtraction by addition with Devin Singletary there in the third round. Then the, the draft. Okay, the draft itself. Can you grade your draft as best you can? Which players are you most excited about, and which one, which picks concern you the most? Our draft was weird because we – the night of the, the first round, I think I was more nervous for the pick before us. You've got the Detroit Lions on the clock, and Ed Oliver is still there. The reason – Brandon Bean, our GM, even admitted the reason they didn't trade back was because Ed Oliver didn't go in the top five like they thought he might. So they said, well, well, well cancel all trade back phone calls – Let's ride this thing out and see if he ends up here. I was terrified that we were going to draft that tight end because, honestly, first-round tight ends don't pan out. Fun fact, Vernon Davis is the last tight end drafted in the first round who's made multiple Pro Bowls and signed a second contract with the team that drafted him. That's 2006. 13 years. Drafting a tight end in the first round is a, it's bad business. So I'm watching this happen, and I'm terrified. I have. He has a gif that he made of me, hands, hands, scratching my head. I look like a terrified chimpanzee. It's awful. But when we drafted at Oliver, that cemented this draft as at, at minimum a B because you grabbed one of the better playmakers in this draft class on the defensive line at a position of need. Then in the second round, we get Cody Ford. Cody Ford's a guy who had late first round, early second round talent, and teams passed on him because he didn't have a whole lot of experience at right tackle. But he, worst case scenario, he's a perennial Pro Bowl guard. Either way, we just got another super talented offensive lineman. We, our, our GM, if you watch the video that's out there on the internet, our GM was beside himself when he thought Cody Ford was gone when Carolina traded up. 
And then when they took the tackle out of Ole Miss, Greg Little, he was just like, I don't care what it takes. We get the next pick. The next pick is ours. You go get that. Right now, you go get Cody Ford. And then, so you have two home run picks out of the gate. And then after that, things kind of fell apart for me personally. You trimmed up for a project tight end that hasn't, I think he caught 15 passes last year, 19 passes. And then you've got this running back who's small but has a ton of wear and tear on his body. And he's got a lot of contact involved there. I, I grade it. Nationally, we got high marks for our draft class. I'd say that we came in with uh, something around a B. I'd say it's it, there's positive things at the top. There's questionable things in the middle. And we drafted a defensive end who's six foot six and has a 103-inch wingspan. 103 inches is eight and a half feet, which is taller than the tallest NBA player currently. I, I think he's actually a pterodactyl. I think they're lying to all of us. I think they actually just resurrected Jurassic Park and found a pterodactyl, and they're going to try to trot him out there in a Bills jersey next year. <laughs> all right. So all that in mind, I'm keeping you short today. I promised I would. So my last question, here you go. How soon can we expect the Bills to compete for a division title? Where do you rank them in the division right now? And how many wins do you see in their schedule right now on paper? I'll, I'll take this because right after our season ended, we made a Seagram's bet. I think the, I think we're going to the playoffs this upcoming year. For those of you at home who don't know what a Seagram's bet is, essentially Mike Host and I, we bet each other and our listeners have gotten involved, local radio station hosts have gotten involved. Essentially, it's when you feel so strongly about something that you're willing to put on the line the fact that you will have to get in front of a camera and chug a Seagram's wine cooler. Not only is it embarrassing, but it's also terrible for you. Might contribute to diabetes. Yeah, I, I had I had us in the, I had us in the playoffs in right when our season ended. Next year, we're going to the playoffs with the the fifty million we cleared in the dead cap, the way our free agency panned out, the way our draft panned out. Uh, as far as division, we are not winning that division until uh, Brady and Belichick are gone. I think we can get. Uh, I like our schedule. I think we can get ten wins out of our schedule and we're probably you know second best uh in the division because you know miami is rebuilding and then the, the jets are a tire fire chris is very much an optimist folks here's what i'll say me just looking at this pragmatically even though i'm probably the drunker of the two of us <laughs> what what i'll say is this when I look at the breakdown of our schedule, the one thing I always look for is how many elite quarterbacks do you face? Because let's face it, week to week, elite quarterbacks are what change, change the face of games, right? So from one week to the next, you're going to play a group of people who, if you have a mediocre quarterback, I mean, Marcus Mariota isn't a terrible quarterback, but he lost to the Buffalo Bills here in Buffalo by a field goal. Why? Because he's not a great quarterback. He's not an elite. He's he's middle of the pack, good but not great. So when I look over our schedule this year, I see that we play Tom Brady. We play, I mean, I don't know what you want to make of Sam Darnold yet because we don't know what he is the same way we don't know what Josh Allen is. We play Tom Brady, and then we go for weeks. We play Carson Wentz, depending on what he's going to be post-injury. Because, I mean, we saw a lot of Nick Foles yep. last year out of them. And then we, we have Big Ben on the schedule. Big Ben and Baker Mayfield. Those are the most intimidating quarterbacks on our schedule. 
that bodes well for us, considering the type of defense we field. I am confident in our defense. I know that they can continue to be what they are under this coaching staff. So with that said, I don't think that a 10-win season is out of, it's completely out of the cards. But as far as competing for the division, I'm sorry, but we have the unfortunate, I mean, you guys are lucky. You Rams fans, listening to this at home, you have no idea how, how envious I am that you don't have an existing Hall of Fame coach and first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback still active in your division. I mean, this is what previous uh, Rams teams and Seahawks teams must have dealt with back when uh, Joe, Montana. Joe Montana and back when Steve Young were still slinging it. Well, the Seahawks didn't deal because they weren't in the division yet. But I really? get the point. They, were not, they didn't come in the division until yes. I think 2002. Yes. Yeah, uh, Seahawks in the uh, AFC. They were in the what? AFC West. And, but what? <laughs> what? Has the world gone crazy? Have I, have I drank no. enough? I, th- I, I think you're missing up in your uh, yeah your history there needs a little bit of work but hey no I just I I see that but also just to kind of our division right now you guys have one major problem that's New England right now we have two and that's the 49ers and the Seahawks at this point that they they both teams got better and we know it and so we we're relying on two rookies one at guard and one at center to block for Jared Goff this year. If they develop them right, and that's what we're banking on, that's what they that's what they believe. They develop them right, then we're going to be fine. If not, we are screwed. So this could be a great year, or it could be a really bad year. We'll find out. Can I ask you one question before we get out of here? Now, I always Chris has tried to coach this out of me. You know, trying to take over or ask questions on somebody else's podcast, the Super Bowl. <laughs> Let me ask you about this. Everything could have gone right for you guys. You guys were right in it until the end. As a Rams fan, do you genuinely feel like this can be your year? You guys can rebound from that and come back stronger. Do you or don't you? I think parallel would be the 2001 Rams against the Patriots and how that team was, I mean, talking to guys later on after that game, um, how what it did to the Rams players mentally. I don't see that it happened to this Rams team. that they're much more in the mold of Sean McVay in terms of mental toughness than anything that Rams team has. So I think they'll be fine. I'm well more worried about is adjusting their scheme, the X's and nose of it, because what happened was teams started figuring them out. The Rams offense relies heavily on deception, and teams started figuring out that, that deception, and they started finding holes in that front wall, that offensive line. So I was at this game. It was a Detroit game where we first started seeing it, and then the Bears the next week followed it to a freaking blueprint. The Eagles gave us problems, and then Gurley pretty much sat those last couple games, and we changed the offense up for C.J. Anderson. Now, flash forward to the Super Bowl. They do the same thing. They followed that Detroit-Chicago blueprint, and what blew my mind in this game was the Rams did not know what to do with it despite the fact they've seen teams do this to them a couple of times already. And I I don't want to... Our coach has turned this franchise around. He's 33 years old. He's going to make mistakes. He, But I have to be honest and say, on that day, he wet the bed. Okay? He just did. How do can't, but, but, but listen, many, many coaches have found themselves in yeah. this position when facing Bill Belichick. And I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm not mad at him for it, Drew. I'm not upset with him for it. But I'll tell you when I'll be upset 
is if the opportunity comes again and it happens again. In the meantime, what I'm, what I'm believing he's doing is he's going back to the drawing board and they're playing chess because that's all football is. At the scheme level, it's chess. Teams figure out your offense, figure out what to do, what you're doing to deceive them, and then they flip it back around and they make their move on you. And that's what the Patriots did. So now, are you going to adjust? Because teams are going to bring that same scheme back at you again to start the season next year. How are you adjusting your offense to deal with that? If the Rams do, if they figure it out and they adjust, which I believe they will, they'll be fine. If they don't, we're screwed. Here's why I asked that question. I'm a fan of a team that's been punched in the mouth year after year after year after year by the New England Patriots. Now that your franchise has gotten a taste of it, I'm excited to watch what the Rams do this year. How they respond, and because it's a fight or flight. When you get hit, you either run away or you get in. <laughs> That's what it is. I want to see what this coaching staff and what this team is made of and how they bounce back from that. Because, like I said, being a team that's been perennially just beat down by the Patriots, you guys have a real shot at not only the talent level, but the coaching talent that you guys have, of being that team that comes back a little bit tougher from that. So I'm uh, very interested to see what you guys bring to the table in And I think they will, Drew. I think what's good, it's the two keys. Will they, will they adjust schematically? And I have to believe they will. They've had a whole entire freaking offseason to adjust schematically. Let's tell you film and get it right. Um, but the, also that interior line. Losing Roger Saffold, losing John Sullivan, and, and to be honest, John Sullivan was falling apart towards the end of the year last year. But losing those two guys, losing your veterans, and, and basically replacing them with guys who are essentially rookies. They, they did not see much time last year. But what they did do, and what people don't talk about, is they during the week, they sat those veterans a lot. A lot. And they worked those two rookies in, Note Boom and Brian Allen on that first team a lot. And so we'll see how that works out. If it works out, they're fine. They're going to be fine. They'll win the division. If not, we're in trouble. <laughs> I'm laughing because you're doing you're doing great. I feel bad because I feel like I disrupted the flow of your show there. No, no. it's it's you, Well, if that's actually good to have because on our show, you know, during the tour in the league, we're asking about other teams. It's good to get a point of view back from the other side of the league. So that's cool. I wish more guests would ask those questions as well. But it is time for us to go. Can you let people know where to find your podcast and also where to find a good Seagrams? Well, first of all, you can find the finest Seagrams. In fact, you can get them single count, according to Chris, at Wegmans. You know, you get them at Tops. You can buy them singularly at Tops for 99 cents. <laughs> Folks, they're only the finest malt liquor. Seagrams is I swear to God, we, we I joke around. I've been emailing back and forth to the people over there about sponsoring the podcast, not even in money, just in, hey, you give us product and we'll just keep doing And I think their mentality is, listen, these idiots are going to keep doing this, whether we give them anything or not. Yeah, we both, feel, we both feel that we have to, if they have an uptick in sales over the last couple of years, we believe it's because of us. Because of the, yeah, you can find uh, us on Twitter. Drew uh, does most of the tweeting at Rockpile Reports. Uh, we're on all of the uh, major podcast catchers: iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and uh, our actually our post draft episode with Nate Geary from WGR local radio station here. First podcast to hit a thousand downloads for a small market like ours. That's a 
for a small market with a non-syndicated podcast or a podcast with no corporate ties, I think we're the f- we're probably the second to do it. So it's pretty solid. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and we'll be talking again in a couple months for the uh, the roundtable for the preseason. So just off the cuff here, throwing you you know a little bit under the bus. Well, really, it's just putting you on the spot. Any predictions for the 2019 Buffalo Bills? Uh, no. I mean, I don't even know that team. I don't. I don't even know who's on that team. Well, actually, <laughs> that says a lot right there. Care. It does. It says a lot yeah, right there. I mean, I mean, that's a team to me that nationally, at least according to the guys with the Rock Pot Report, they had a nice draft, they had a nice offseason, but outside of their now second-year quarterback. I don't know anybody on that team. That's a team that is rebuilding from the bottom and going, to, trying to go to the top and eventually dethrone the Patriots. We'll see, but I'm with you, man. In terms of if you off the top of your head, you're like, well, hey, <laughs> I, who, who's on the team? Josh Allen? Uh, is LaShawn McCoy still there? Yeah, kind uh, yeah. of. As usual. I, mean, I actually saw I actually saw a uh, some stuff going on with him the other day. He's just, he's not happy, but who would be? I mean, Marshawn Lynch said it when he got traded to the Seattle Seahawks that uh, he admitted he hated when he found out he was being drafted to Buffalo Bills because he said, what is a rich 20-something-year-old kid going to do on a Friday night in Buffalo? Go to Applebee's? That's unfortunate. It is, but it's but, true. But, hey, well, it, to a degree, there's a lot of things up in that area to do. Just, when you it, grow it, up it, in California, everywhere else other than New York is the sticks. It's just I can it. understand that. It's, it's a it's a mentality, dude. It really is. If you well, if you and it doesn't mean we demean, dude. If it was up to me, I'm not kidding. I've lived in LA for 40 years of my whole freaking life, and if it was up to me, I would sell my house and I would go move to the middle of nowhere and live like a king and be on a lake fishing. That's what <laughs> I would do because that's in my DNA, man. I, I, it's just who I am, but my wife will not leave until we retire. So I'm stuck here for at least another 20 years. I'm just glad that the it made it the Rams made it easier for me to stay by coming home. Well, I mean, California is a, a beautiful place to be, and of course, it is. But it's there, exhausting. I, it I, is. I'm, yeah, I'm and, one of the most honest people that grew up here, and they're, all the LA people here, you know, they they always want to crush me for giving our city a hard time. But dude, let's be honest. It's way too crowded. It's way too expensive. People are super rude. It's rough to live here, man. I'm just used to it because it's the only place I've ever lived. But traveling for my job over the last 21 years and being in places like Montana and Idaho and and so on and so forth, all over the I've been to almost every state. And man, every time I go, like I don't want to come home because it's so quiet and peaceful. And then I come home and I get on the freeway and have a panic attack because everyone's flipping you off and cutting you off. And <laughs> it's brutal, dude. It's it's another world. Like I know guys like Jake are moving here in a couple of years, but he's going to get a reality check, man. Growing up in upstate New York in the middle of nowhere. Well, I mean, I'm out here in in between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, out here in Youngstown, Ohio, and I look out my my window during the during the day hours it's nighttime right now and i see a lot of green you know blue skies green trees it's calm it's peaceful um there are a lot of there are a lot of great things and people make fun of ohio there's a lot of great things about living here i think it just really depends on you know like la 
yeah, there's, I mean, there's vices to living everywhere. With L.A., though, you have access to pretty much anything you want or need or both. You have the ability to I could to drive go... to the beach in 20 minutes, and I could be in the snow up in Big Bear in the 90 minutes. Absolutely. So every place has its negatives and positives. And the one thing I can say that I definitely appreciate about the L.A. area is there was – I'm never – I'm never bored. I could never be bored. So, all right, folks, it is time for us to roll. We are looking for sponsors for the 2019 season. You reach out to us at ramstop1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Also, on our network, we have Talking Halos if you like the Angels. And I think we have an announcement coming up soon. Not quite ready to spill the beans, but we have a pretty big announcement coming up as well. Sorry for the cliffhanger there, but kind of just dotting our I's and crossing the T's there before I make it official. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk or search for our group on in uh, Facebook, which is the Rams Talk Room. You'll see a lot more of us interacting there, quite frankly, because the algorithms on Facebook are horrid. You can find me on Twitter at DCAPALA, D-C-I-A-P-A-L-A, and Tommy, Tommy Avant at Ram Tommy in LA. Don't forget us on Apple Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, all those places, and iBeatRadio.com plays our shows on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. So, Tommy, before we get out of here, any closing thoughts? Um, I'll be at camp on Sunday. If anybody's out there, come say hello to me. I'd like to meet. I like to meet new people in person. I got to meet Eric Lister on Twitter. He came in from Utah this week so i got to meet him on monday he said just look for the guy with the blue hair so it was pretty easy to find him but yeah come and say hello man i'd like to meet everyone and johnny will be out there saturday he'll uh, look for a guy wearing how do i describe johnny how, how do i describe johnny tommy he's a handsome feller <laughs> look for the handsome feller younger looking handsome feller in khakis and a nice polo shirt Got out there to cover the Rams. Okay, time for us to roll. For Tommy and the entire Rams talk staff, this is Derek C. Paul Tangs. Take it easy. We are out of here. We'll see you this weekend. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League.
Listen wherever you get your podcasts.